You are listening to the Midtown Church Podcast, a ministry that exists to make Jesus known. If you were here last week, um, you may remember that I said then that I was ending off our summer prayer series last week with that text, that benediction uh, coming out of number six. And that was my intention last week, that we would close things off last week, and then next week we would launch, and then this week I had on my calendar as a one-off Sunday where I could do anything I wanted on the Sunday, maybe catch up with something or, or whatever. But as I thought about it, as I prayed about it, as I thought and considered just what's going on in my life, in this ministry's life, um, my mind went to a text that has been, I just can't get it out of my mind. Uh, it's been with me all summer, and that's a text, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me uh, to it, is found in Hebrews chapter 13. We're looking at verses 20 to 21 today, and um, why, why I begin talking about, you know, I was going to end things off and then do something different today, and then we'll start things in our new series with our launch on the 10th, is, is today, really, this text kind of serves as a, a great passage tying back with our prayer series, because it's a benediction like last week's text was. It's also a prayer. Obviously, benedictions are essentially prayers. As, as, as we learned last week, they close off. For the most part, they close off letters in the New Testament. We see them show up in the Old Testament as well. And so, as we walk through this text, it's going to serve as sort of an epilogue, a postscript to the summer series, but the sweet thing about it is it really launches us forward as well into the fall. Uh, and, and you'll see that as we go. And that wasn't my intention. This is just God's good grace uh, and his orchestration, I, I believe. And so Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21 uh, why, why has this text been on my mind as it has been why, uh, for the last several months? Well, the reason why is back in spring, I, I took, during a staff meeting, I took our staff to this text, and I did a short devotional on it, and I asked them, uh, I, I want this text to guide us as we pray together. So let's pray what we see here together for one another for our families, for the ministry. And we did that. I think it was May, maybe April. But since that time, I can't get this out of my mind. I pray it all the time. It's just stuck with me. And I can say that with integrity. I have prayed it often. Uh, when I was gone this summer, uh, I did a lot of hiking. In the summer, I went down to Palm Springs and hiked every morning, like I talked about, uh, almost every morning. Got to get up really early. Uh, because it's hot all the time, and it's really hot if you wait too long. And so you get up at 5, 5.30, and you hit the mountain, and you hike. And going up, it's all workout. It's 45 or so minutes of workout. I, I, don't, wear, I don't wear any kind of headset because I want to hear the rattlesnakes if they're nearby. And so I don't want to be listening to whatever, my, you know, DJ Khaled. I, I want to I just hike. And I, I, I go up, I, my wife comes with me, she hikes with me until a point comes where she said, I'm tired of waiting for you, and then she just heads up in front of me. It's very depressing. It's very sad. 
but she does that, and then I meet her up top, and I do the rocky thing, right, when you hit up top, and, just, and she's already been there for about 35 minutes waiting for me impatiently, and now she's great. But then when we come down, we pray. We just pray. We walk down. We have about 40 minutes just to pray, and this is one of the prayers that I've been praying, not just on my holidays, but praying for me, for you, for this ministry. I keep on praying it. And what I would like to do this morning is go through it and by God's grace, get it into your heads too. Where you just can't get it out of you. That you keep on coming back to it. So with that in mind, before we look at it, let's pray together um, and, uh, and bow our heads together and bring our time before the Lord. Uh, Psalm 19, uh, we read, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true the righteous and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. And so, Father, revive us today. Make us wise today. Turn angst into rejoicing today. Enlighten our eyes today by way of your word, the word that the Holy Spirit produced for us, guiding men as they wrote it down. So Holy Spirit inspired in its production and Holy Spirit, you continue to speak through your word because your word is living and active. And so in the proclamation of the, of the word, you speak. So speak to us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like I said, last week's message, like this week's, or this week's message, like last week's, is a benediction. Benediction, if you weren't here, is a fancy word that simply means good word. Um, bena, good, diction, dictionary word. And usually they end off letters in the scriptures, especially, especially New Testament letters, just leaving the audience, the readers, with a good word as they go. And so we did that with number six, and we're going to do that again with what we see in Hebrews 13. Lots of ways to go through the, through the benediction or this passage, but what I want to do, if you like taking notes, I want to begin by having you notice the ask in this, or the petition in this benedict benediction. The ask actually shows up at the beginning of verse 21, but let me start reading with verse 20 and go to 21. The writer of Hebrews, we're not sure who it is. Most people suggest Paul. I'm not convinced, so I'll just refer to him as the author or writer. He begins, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good. Just stop there. Because that's the ask in these two verses. The ask is, may God equip you with everything good. Now, I want to put the Greek word for equip up on the screen. You can put that there it is. Katartizo, katartizo. 
That is the Greek word for equip, and I put it up on the screen for you because depending on the context, it can be used to describe a number of things. Doctors would use it when setting broken bones. Fishermen would use it when talking about mending their nets. In fact, we read the following in Matthew chapter 4, verse 21, and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, that's Jesus, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending, that's our word, katartizo, mending their nets, and he called them. So we have fishermen using it, we have doctors using it, we also have soldiers using it. Soldiers would talk about equipping themselves using this language for battle. And the reason why I bring that to you today is because when it comes to the equipping work of God, this is what God does when he equips us. He equips us by setting right our brokenness. He equips us by mending our tears. Is that not true? He equips us as well with armory, Ephesians 6 language, armory for the battle that we fight every day. So he equips us in this way, used in this way. There's a wholeness and a fullness to the equipping work of God. But here's the question I think really important going back to our verses. Equipped to do what? What are we equipped to do? Well, go back again to the text, verse 21. May God equip you with everything good that you may do his will. So there's our answer. We are equipped, this benediction, this prayer, may God equip us to do his will. And what is God's will? Important question. Well, the sweetness in verse 21, if you put your beautiful eyes back there, it's defined there. The will of God is defined as, that, defined as that which is pleasing in his sight. I love that definition. Doing God's will is doing anything that is pleasing in his sight. But I know when I say that, some of you want to push back on me and say, hey, Nora, I think you're being overly simplistic. But why would we think that? Why do we make the will of God and the discussion around it so difficult? And we often do. Just think about Adam and Eve in the garden. Go all the way back to Genesis 1. What was God's will for Adam and Eve in the garden as it related to what they could eat and not eat? Well, Adam, uh, excuse me, God's will for Adam and Eve in the, gar in the garden was you can eat from any tree in the garden except that one. That was God's will. So when they got up in the morning, they didn't have to go to God and pray and ask and seek him out and go, I wonder what God's will for me today is in regards to eating. What tree should I eat from? The answer is any of them, except for one. And if they did that, they would be doing that which is pleasing in his sight. Now, the question that comes up when we start talking about God's will is, does God at times reveal specific directions for us to go? Does he give, it, give us specific decisions to make, choices to make? Well, sure, we have examples of that in the Bible, and I'm sure that some of you have personal examples of that as well. But I would argue that that's not normally the case. 
I would suggest that there is great freedom to make decisions and to not live in fear that we are outside of his will and therefore not pleasing him. I believe God has put us in the times and places that we should live, and he says to us, eat, just not that one. You have freedom, enjoy, participate, do that which is good, do that which is pleasing, just stay away from that one. Don't be tempted by that one, don't mess with that one, but enjoy, flourish, participate. The reason why I take the time to talk about this is I have met Christians who can't, and I mean this literally, can't drive down the street, come to a corner, and not have to pray, God, you want me to go right or left? We have freedom to do that which pleases him. But go back to the text. Put your eyes down in the text if you don't mind, because I want you to see something far more relevant in it, because the author actually doesn't write, may God equip you with everything good that you may know his will. He writes, may he equip you with everything good that you may do his will. But to do his will, you have to know his will, right? That makes sense. And I would agree with that. But doing his will requires more than just knowing his will. You, you may know the will of God, but may not be equipped to do the will of God. And that's the prayer here. May God equip you to do it. So how does he equip us? Well, let's take a look at places where the word equip shows up in the scriptures and show us those ways that he does equip us. Well, one of them, obviously, is something we're doing right now. He equips us by the word of God. And before we even look at a text that'll be on the screen, we also have to remember that in our text, in these two verses, we do know, number one, he, he equips us with everything good. That's number one. He equips us with good things. All of these things are good things. So number one, the word of God. He equips us with his very word, the Bible, the, the written word of God, 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. So this is profitable time for you right now and for me, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God, the woman of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Homework assignment for some of you this week, or maybe for all of you if you want to do it, just take some time this week on your own and ask yourself the question, when you go to the Word of God, how is it teaching you? How is it reproving you? How is it correcting you? How is it training you in righteousness? So when you take this and you get your coffee in the morning, you're going through this. John Stott famously, that's how he did his devotions. He would go to the Bible and he'd ask those four questions. How is this teaching, training, correcting, reproving me? And he would spend time journaling and walking through it because that's what this does. And because it does it and it's moving and living and active and the Spirit's working through it, we get trained up trained, equipped for the good works that we are to do. Secondly, a second way we're equipped is prayer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, not on the screen, but 
Paul writes there, we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply, same word, kartetizo, equipped, supply what is lacking in your faith. So we're praying and we want to come to you. We want to see you so we can equip you, come alongside of you. I mean, earlier in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us then with confidence draw, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the word of God, prayer, thirdly, the local church and the gifts and the ministries in it. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. We're going to talk a lot about this in the fall because we're doing a spiritual gifts series I'm going to start that off by spending four weeks just talking about the person and work of the Holy Spirit, and then we'll get into the gifts discussion. Be praying about that because few topics divide people more than the discussion about the work of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, but we're really going to focus on how we are given by God's grace, put together by God's grace, empowered and gifted by God's grace to serve one another. Build one another up, just like we see here. Uh, another way that we're equipped, and it really flows out of the previous, is individual believers. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Brothers, sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. That's the same word. Mend him. Tend to him. Help his brokenness, help his waywardness, restore him in a spirit, spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. This is sweet ministry, man. This is what we do with one another. We see somebody and the way they're living, the choices they're making, it's, it's leading to problems and, and discord and, and sin. And we get together and we go, I love you, man. But how you're living, the choices you're making, they're going to hurt you. This is not God's plan for you. And when you do that, when that person turns, we've equipped them. They've come back from a place of disobedience to a place of health, and now they're ready to continue on. That's our role with one another. That's how the church works. And then another one that works in terms of the equipping of you and me, and we don't like talking about it too much, is suffering. Suffering equips us. First Peter chapter 5, verse 10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore you. Catartizo. Confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Because here's the reality, suffering matures us, right? I mean, we, we may not see it in the moment, but, but in my, I'll just talk personally as, a, as an old man, who's lived some life now, especially now pastor, I'm almost 30 years in ministry, pastoral ministry, and one of the discussions that happens over those years is discussions with people who have gone through hurt 
And I find now in my life that when I talk to them, I'm not talking just as a theorist. I'm talking as a a person who has experienced that, those types of things. And so you're taught, you feel equipped. That's what the past pain and, and trial and test has, it's equipped you. It's hard, but then you can sit down and you can talk and walk through and go, I, I, I empathize because here's what happened with me. And now I can speak into your life, not down, but as one who understands. It, it equips us. It's, if, if you're thinking 2 Corinthians chapter 1 type stuff, your mind should go there. We go through these times, we're comforted, so we can down the line comfort others. So, so suffering, not one of these, the ones I just gave you, but all of these good things work together to mend us, restore us, correct us, train us, and equip us to do his will. But there's another way God equips us. And it's seen in verse 21. And I'm about to embark on a topic that's going to require that you really lean in. Uh, Because I'm going to go from milk to meat. And you're going to have to think deeply with me. Okay, so put your phones down. I see you. Put your phones down. Stop thinking about chili that you're going to have this afternoon. And let's embark on a subject that by God's grace, he will enlighten us, enlighten us with. But the other way that God equips us is seen in verse 21, where we read, may God equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. So there it is. There's another way God equips us. How does God equip us? Well, one person I read said, well, he moves in. He he equips us by moving into us, but he doesn't only move in. He works in. He works in us that which is pleasing in his sight. So do you hear that? He works in us. That, I'm going to repeat myself for a purpose, that which is pleasing in his sight. If if your mind is going to Philippians 2 right now, it should go to Philippians 2 right now, where, where Paul writes in Philippians 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who wills and works in you for whose pleasure? His pleasure. So he wills He works in you for his pleasure. Same language here in our text. Very similar language. But here's the problem. And you're going, yeah, okay, Norm, thanks. Here's the problem and why we need to think deeply together. Many make the mistake of thinking that God does the first and we do the second. Meaning God, he's, he's the internal guy. God does the internal work and we do the external work. He works in, we work out, right? That's his job. He does that and we do that. 50-50 kind of relationship. Many people think that. But that's not what this is saying. This is saying, and hear me, that it's in his doing that we do. Are your circuits shorting out right now? 
He works in us that which is pleasing in his sight. If you're confused, great. That's my goal. I like to confuse people when I teach. So let me put it this way. If you are confused, in our doing, he is doing. No line of demarcation. I'm borrowing some of the following verbiage, adding my own, tweaking it a little bit as I've meditated on this. But his doing is not first and our doing second. His is first and ours is first because his work is our work. God is at work in you so that all of your work will be the will of God. That's Philippians 2 as well. His will, he wills and works in you for his good pleasure. In other words, all that is pleasing in his sight is God's doing in your doing. So, what's the pushback on this? Well, the pushback is, well, what you're saying then, Norm, is we're just robots. Wait, we're, we're just robots. No, 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 no. A million times no. To, to think, as some people sadly do, that this means that we're just puppets on a string is to misunderstand the wonder of our salvation and to truly understand what it means to be born again. Born from above. It's to tragically soil what it means to be transformed by the Spirit of God into the image of the Son. So, so look at me, look at me. The work of God in us, willing and working, isn't to manipulate us, it's to change us. Romans 8.29, what's Romans 8.29? He has predestined us to be what? Conformed into the image of the Son. We can't do that. That's God. God necessarily has to will, has to work, has to conform, has to transform us into the image of his Son. We can't grunt our way to doing that. So it's not manipulation. It's the fulfillment of the promise that God is changing us into the, to the Son. And in that changing, when, whenever we do the will of God in us, we image the Son in us. That's what we're doing. The image of the Son that we are becoming. God works in us so that his will will be done in our life as it is done in heaven. And this isn't the removal of our will, but the transformation of our will. A transformation so that we will what he wills. And you want this. We love to talk about free will, right? We freak out. Whenever I come to a subject like this, what about our free will? What about our free will? Is your will truly free? Truly, outside of a relationship with the Lord, is your will truly free? 
Romans 8 says all of creation has been subjected to what? Futility. Certainly includes our wills. So our wills, just like everything else in creation, have been subjected to futility. So what hope do we have? The work of God in our lives. Starting pre-salvation. That's why you and I pray for people to come to the Lord. Why would we pray if we didn't think God could intervene and does intervene and interrupt people's futile wills and direct them to the Lord? We want this. We need this. Where God directs them, draws them, leads them, whatever it takes to the Lord. We pray for our family, pray for our friends and coworkers. Lord, bring them to you interrupt their lives. But that interruption, that work, that leading to the place of salvation doesn't end there. God's just beginning. He calls us and then he trans transforms us from there into the image of the Son where our will isn't being manipulated. Our will is changing as we become more like Jesus. That's why this prayer is not know the will, but do the will. Because for us to do the will of God requires that God work in us. We can't do it in our own strength. What does Romans 12, 2 say? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Good, acceptable, and perfect. So transformation of the mind. What does Paul write in Galatians 2? You can read it behind me. I have been crucified with Christ. I don't live. I no longer live. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Working, willing. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I know some of you are looking at me and go, I, I don't believe you yet. I think you're, you're losing it. You're thinking about fishing too much tomorrow. Then Christian, if, if you think, if, if I haven't convinced you yet, listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians 2. I'm giving you a lot of verses for a reason. We are his workmanship. Poema. We're his, we're his song that he's writing, his poem, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So let's tear that verse apart. Who are we? We're his workmanship. How are we? Well, we are created in Christ Jesus. And what now are we created for? We're created for good, good works. Whose good works? God's good works that he has prepared beforehand. What's our call? Walk in them. And so some of you may be wondering, if I do what is pleasing in God's sight, is it me doing it or is it God doing it? Yes. It's Christ in you doing it. It's you doing it, Christ in you doing it. 
Do, do you hear and see the beautiful oneness of this? I mean, if you still need convincing, listen to what Jesus says in John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is, she it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. But in Christ, you can do all things through him who strengthens you. You see, Midtown, God doesn't help those who help themselves. God equips those, and he fills those, and he works in those, and he transforms those who deny themselves and follow him. I'll leave you with one last verse before moving on, and I'm not going to spend as much time on what's coming as I did on this last point, but just... Sometimes we read the Bible way too fast and we need to slow down and see what it says. But 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Grace to make us all sufficient in all things at all times? That's God in us. I want, as we move forward in this ministry, to understand, even if we don't totally grasp this, understand the extent God goes to make us sufficient to carry out his will. Like, this is ours if you are in Christ. The promises that I've read through are nothing short of miraculous, and they are because of God's work in us. So that's how he equips us. That's the ask. Let's move on from the ask and look at, secondly, who is asked? Who is the request go to? Well, we know in verse 20, uh, as I go back there, uh, who he addresses. He says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you. So that's who's being asked. The God of peace, number one. The God who raised Jesus from the dead, number two. The God who raised Jesus from the dead by the blood of the eternal covenant, number three. And as we've seen, he prays to the God who equips us and works in us to do that which is pleasing in his sight. I'm, I'm going to alliterate those four things, those four addresses of God, if you don't mind, just to help us remember uh, more easy who he prays to. Because remember, I'm trying to get this into your head this, and, and keep it there for a while who does he address? Well, he addresses the God of peace. He addresses the God of power. He addresses the God of promise. And, and the God, lastly, he prays to is the God who works for his good pleasure. So let's take a look at them one at a time, those four Ps. First, God is the God of peace, and he is the maker of peace. And making peace was necessary because of our sin. 
This is the story of God. This is certainly what the writer of Hebrews spends a lot of time talking about. Sin has brought alienation and separation between us and God. This is, again, a major theme of the book of Hebrews. And the beautiful story of Hebrews that it tells us is that Jesus is the purification for our sins. Chapter 1, verse 3. And he is the propitiation for our sins, chapter 2, verse 17. He's the sacrifice for our sins, chapter 10, verse 12. He is the forgiveness for our sins and of our sins, chapter 10, verse 18. He's the bearer of sins. He's the offering for sin. He's the one who took away our sins, chapter 9, verse 28. So God first is the God of peace, the maker of peace through Jesus. Secondly, speaking of Jesus, Jesus didn't only pay our penalty of sin, but destroyed the power of sin by rising from the grave. The God of power, we see in verse 20, raised from the dead our Lord Jesus. Only mentioned in the book of Hebrews of the resurrection of Jesus is right here. Thirdly, (coughs) he's the God of promise. Because as it says in verse 20, God raised Jesus by the blood of the eternal covenant. What does that mean? Because it sounds very confusing. Well, it sounds confusing because it's really a summary statement of what the author of Hebrews has taken much of the book to explain. All we need to know for now, today, this morning, is that the covenant that we have entered, this covenant relationship that we have entered, foreshadowed and promised before the time of Christ is not temporary like the Mosaic Covenant, but eternal and purchased by the better and the better blood and sacrifice of Jesus. This cup is a new covenant in my blood, eternal covenant fulfilled in Jesus. And fourth, as we talked about, he is the God who works all of this for his good pleasure. So that's the ask, that's who he asks. Do you know that who you ask is as important as what you ask for? (coughs) You ever thought about it? In fact, probably more important than the ask is the one who's being asked. Would you agree with that? Like if you came up to me and said, Norm, can I borrow a million dollars? I would say, you're asking the wrong guy. Probably need to talk to Warren Buffett right? He would be a better ask. He's worth $120 billion. I had to do the math. Thousand millions in a billion, right? Class, right? That's 120,000 millions. I don't even know if I have 120,000 like loonies to my name, let alone millions. Ask him, Go to Warren Buffett, ask him, but so too, if you came and asked me to equip you with everything good that you may do God's will, I would say to you, you're asking the wrong guy. You should be asking the God of peace and power and promise and pleasure. That's who you should ask. As we begin wrapping this up, What's the basis for this ask? What what leads the author of Hebrews to pray to God for this, for 
the people who are reading this, the Christians who make up the audience of this? What is the basis for this ask? Well, it's seen in the phrase in verse 21, and note it, don't throw it away, it's vitally important. It's through Jesus Christ that is the basis for this ask. All that God does in us, what we could wrap up with the word sanctification, he does through Jesus Christ. And as our risen, living, and great shepherd, Jesus is actively involved in seeing that it happens. Because that's what a good shepherd, a great shepherd, a chief shepherd does. Which leads, finally, to the purpose behind the ask. What is, what is the desired outcome in this benediction? This good word to the readers then and to us? Well, the end of this benediction tells us, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. In other words, being equipped with everything good that we may do his will and what is pleasing in God's sight is through Jesus and it's for Jesus forever and ever. Amen. What a great word. What a great word this benediction is. So with it in mind, let me pray for us. Would you bow your heads as we pray together and move into a time of response? Oh God of peace, you who have brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, oh God, we praise you for raising Jesus from the dead, for conquering sin and death through Jesus. You have destroyed the one who has the power of death, the devil. You have destroyed death itself. We have peace in you. In Christ, you are the great shepherd of the sheep, God. You love and care for your people. You lead and guide your people. You direct your people like a shepherd does sheep. And you have made all this possible by Jesus' blood an eternal covenant with your people. You have saved us from our sins through the blood of Jesus. God, I pray to you, the God of peace, the great shepherd of the sheep, who's brought from the dead Jesus, who's made it possible for us to be in an, in an, an eternal covenant relationship with you. God, I pray for the men and the women and the students and the children who are here right now or may listen during the week. I pray that you would equip them with everything good that they may do your will. God, I pray for them. I pray that you would help them to do your will today, to do your will in their lives, and you would equip them with all that is good to do that. God, please give them purity and holiness and strength and grace and wisdom. They need you to do your will. They need you. They need your grace to make them sufficient to do your will. God, I pray that you would equip them so that they walk in your will. God, give them single-minded focus on obeying your word and walking in your will and give them the grace to do that. Make your will their will. Help them to overcome temptation. Help them to endure through the trials they're walking through. Give them wisdom in their decisions. Give them purity in their desires and their thoughts. Work in them that which is pleasing to you. God, may it be so. 
May their lives be pleasing to you as you work in them, that which is pleasing in your sight. And I pray this with confidence, because all of this is possible through Jesus Christ, who is worthy of glory forever and ever. And God, I pray all these things for my own life and for the lives of those here right now, that the name of Jesus would be glorified in me and them forever and ever. God of peace, who brought again the, from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of your eternal covenant, equip my brothers and sisters, working in them that which is pleasing in your sight through Jesus Christ, to who belongs glory forever and ever. And all of Midtown said, Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Midtown, please go to midtownchurch.com.